Welcome to the Mike Unmuch Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and producer, Max Kerman. Max, how's it going? It's uh, going pretty good. Actually, on the way over here, I got some good news. Uh, in last week's episode, I talked about uh, trying to find a connection to the abstract art world. Oh, yeah. You know, for Lauren's friend, Laurel's father. Father. Anyway, Jenna Gregory, who does all the uh, drawings for this show, yes, she listened to the episode and she said, <laughs> I got a hookup for you. What? He might be able to get his stuff in the art gallery of Hamilton. So I don't know. That's as far as I've gotten. I literally, the email just came in like 15 minutes ago. Max Kerman and the Mike Unmuch podcast are making dreams come true. Exactly. And that's great news. Yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, have any- you seen any of his art yet? I still haven't seen it. No. no. All right. Max, we got a good show today. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Today on the show, we have Tori Kelly. That's right. She, uh, she She's a pretty big deal, Max. She is. She is a very big deal. She just played the uh, MTV VMAs. Did uh, you watch the VMAs, by the way? I did. I was riveted for all of Kanye's speech. It was amazing. Kanye's speech was, I was watching it with Nick. Uh, we were in Chicago that night. Uh, the bass player in your band. The bass player in our band. And... Uh, and we both love Kanye. <laughs> and we were just like sort of on the edge of our beds the whole time. Uh, and yeah, what did you make of that speech, by the way? It was great television in the sense that like nothing could have torn me away from the TV because I didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. Well, a question for you. Do you think, how much of that speech do you think Kanye like prepared? Like, whoa. My first instinct is to say he went up there and he was just winging it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, this is the thing. I think what Kanye does is he's sort of like, and it's, by the way, it's always really interesting when you're thinking about the, the process of these like celebrity artist types right. and like what they go through. Like, so for instance, I met Dal Screen years ago. Right. And I knew that his songs, like the City and Color songs, had really weird chord voicings. So in my mind, he had been to like, you know, Juilliard or something to learn these changes and just like, <laughs> how did he figure this out? And he's like, oh, I just never really learned how to play guitar properly. And I just sort of made them up. I was like, oh, that's all it was. <laughs> so I think with Kanye, he has a general sense of the statement he's going to make. And he like, and so he just knows, look, if they let me up there for 15 minutes and I just ramble, I know people are going to talk about it. Yeah. Like, I think they told him five minutes, by the way. Well, I, he took some liberties. Well, that's probably what it was. He was like, they're going to tell me five. I'm going to go on for 12. <laughs> yeah. And if I go on for 12 and they let me speak for 12 minutes, then that in itself is the story. If they cut me off, that's a story. Right. It's like, I think he just knows that. If give him a microphone with a stark light and he just doesn't shut up and then he says, I'm running for president, like <laughs> who cares what else he really said? It's just like that as a item is, yeah. is pretty compelling. Shane was, Shane, our pop culture aficionado, was saying to me today that when you watch the video, you actually hear someone in the crowd just before he makes his announcement go, Kanye for president. So the thinking uh-huh. is that it, it wasn't planned, he'd heard it and then delivered it. Oh, wow. So according I, to see, Shane, I wouldn't be. Uh, Surprise if Shane was case. studying the speech like it was a Zapruder film, uh, JFK. <laughs> he was every aspect. He was very fascinated by it. Uh, well, Kanye, uh, when everybody zigs, he zags, you know? Speaking of Kanye, you mentioned meeting Dallas Green years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always fascinating when you uh, sort of like meet these people. Do you ever get sort of starstruck anymore? Yeah, um, occasionally. I mean, there's there's some people in the band world that I don't that might have been starstruck a few years ago, but now I'm like, I know what your life looks like, and it doesn't really impress me that much, right? Uh, just because I'm familiar with it. But uh, a few weekends ago, we played Oceaga Music Festival in Montreal, 
and St. Vincent was playing right after us. Yeah. She's one of my favorite artists. And she's dating Cara Delevingne. Ah. And, and so Cara Delevingne was backstage, like in artist catering, with, she had this whole posse, uh, Joel Kinnaman, the dude from The Killing. Okay. Who Lauren, my girlfriend, loves. And Lauren was there. <laughs> so she was like kind of in awe the whole time. And also Margot Robbie, who's been in The Wolf of Wall Street and all sorts of Absolutely. movies. Absolutely. Um, all of these people are in, they're in Suicide Squad. They're all in Suicide Squad. Yes. That's why they're there. And uh, it was kind of weird because Cara Levine, you know, she's like this international model. And it was kind of like I was kind of nervous just standing next to them. Is she tall? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Very sort of ordinary looking. That, that, that's the one thing about like models, you know, are supposed to be sort of this next level of They're supposed beauty. to be striking when you see them. Yeah, but it's, it's like I feel like there's a lot of luck in the model game. She, she's a striking girl. And, <laughs> but it's like I, I just don't know the process for like how you kind of get to that point zero one percentile sure. in, the, in that game. But uh, actually, and then the next weekend, we played a festival out in Squamish, and we were on the same bill as Brandon Flowers from ah. The Killers. And Brandon Flowers is one of my favorite singers. He's one of my favorite songwriters. And just as a performer, I think he's, he's killer. Were you like, I'm going up and I'm going to say something? Or were you like, I'm going to let things happen naturally? Well, you know, it's funny. It's like he sort of has a bit of a reputation for being maybe like a little prickly or stuck up. Like that's, you've heard that in the press sure. a little bit. So, you know, I didn't want to be too much of a fanboy. But if there was anybody I'd be a fanboy of, it would be Brandon Flowers. Like it'd be similar to like meeting Chris Martin or something like that. Just like guys who you sort of, grew up within your formative years as like your, the lead singers of your favorite band. So uh, I saw him sort of standing backstage sort of in the doorway of his dressing room. And I was thinking, I was like, okay, hey, what's my in here? You know, like uh, how do I, how do I talk to this guy? Cause I do want to say something. Cause you know, if it goes badly, uh, you know, I'll just tell myself that's, you know, what you should have expected. And you have a story and I have a story. And if it goes well, then, you know, maybe you make a connection with a guy who you really look up to. Maybe you have a friend, maybe you have a friend. So, you know, I, I wanted to sort of get in there and talk about something that he might sort of go, Oh, this guy sort of knows a little bit more than just the, the generic, like I love, you know, Mr. Brightside or something, like which that. is what I would have said, which is what you would have said. <laughs> so, you know, I'd seen Brandon flowers play the week before. So, uh, I told him, I was like, you know, I saw, um, you know, I saw your show last week in Boston and I thought you were killer and I loved some of the banter. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Uh, I thought your banter was great. But I also uh, really loved your performance. You did like a late night show. I think it was on Fallon and the lighting guy did something clever and I mentioned something very specific about the performance. And then he, and then he kind of knew I was for real that I'd sort of been like studying what he was what he was up to. And uh, he said, oh, our lighting guy's going to love to hear that. And then he asked me, like, if I was in a band and I told him I'd played earlier in the day, I was in a band called the Arkells. Uh, and then I went right back to him. I was like, you know, um, I, uh, I heard you on this podcast, on a Grantland podcast. He was interviewed by Andrew Greenwald. Yeah. And it was a really great interview because, uh, you know, you don't get a chance to, like, you know, listen to Brandon Flowers talk for 40 minutes. And he said, you know, I love uh, – that was my favorite interview I've ever done. And he said, you know, and I uh, – and I told him, I was like, yeah, that's why podcasts are so great. You know, the long form chats. Anyway, I recommended some other podcasts. He says he's listened to Serial uh, on family trips, which I love the idea of Brandon Flowers and his wife and kids. The Flowers family the, trip where the, they got Serial on the old They rate. got, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was really happy with There's something very went. humanizing yeah. about it. It's like, oh, he's just like us. Yeah, but, but like, you know, the most handsome, svelte guy in the world. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Mikey? Who, who, who have you been starstruck around? You've worked in much, a lot of MMVAs. You've been to a bunch of those. I don't know. I kind of, I stopped getting starstruck, I found, pretty early on. You know, you still, whenever you see someone famous, your brain always does something kind of 
weird. You you acknowledge it like, oh, I've seen you on the TV. Like, yeah. you, you can't help but have that feeling. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, I the nervousness kind of goes away the more you interact. You know, yeah. it's more just like, oh, if you're talking to somebody new, the same way you talk to anybody new. I find anyway. No, of course. But I feel like young Mike, anytime there's a basketball player around, still gets very excited. Yeah. So it's like... Or old Mike today. Or old Mike, <laughs> yes, gets very even more excited <laughs> than young Mike. I feel like you're more excited <laughs> about basketball today than you ever have been. Absolutely. Like I remember, <laughs> like when I came over, but you, you, what were you watching? I was watching the Canadian national team. It's like the middle <laughs> of the summer. It's like... It's the only basketball on, I, Andrew Wiggins. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love my hoops. Yeah, but or like you'll be like watching like a playoff game from like 2006. I definitely do that. Going back to my very first MMVAs, uh, Vince Carter, who was probably at the time the, one of the most famous basketball players in of the world. Of course, my uh, my first email address was Vince underscore Kerman at Hotmail.com. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> if you email that, I think I forgot the password. Um, anyway. Yeah, so my first MMVAs, we do this thing uh, in the building where Basically, for any of the artists that are nominated or performing, uh, you wrangle them. So basically, if you know the lay of the building, you get your little headset in the night of the award show, you're their liaison. Yeah. So it's my very first MMVAs, and the woman, uh, Siobhan, who basically assigns celebrities to different wranglers, I don't know what I was thinking. I was brand new, but I was like, you know, if you could make it happen and no pressure, <laughs> I'd love to wrangle Vince. <laughs> and yeah. she's probably like, who the hell is this kid? But to her credit, she gave me Vince. Uh, I couldn't so believe it. It was very exciting. So one of the things I did notice about walking around the building with Vince, like the artist area, the green rooms, the backstage, like people would want to come up and meet Vince. Like I remember standing in one room and Nelly Furtado's on the other side of the room and she comes like up very shyly and she's like to me, oh, can I just talk to Vince for a second? (laughs) As if you're his like personal security guard. I'm like, (laughs) let me check with Vince. No, I didn't. I was like, I was like, yeah, for sure. Go up. She's like, she's like, hey, hey, Vince, I'm Nelly. He's like, I know who you are. She's like. I've got my friend on the phone, and could you say hi to her? She's a huge fan. Yeah, that's so and cool. And Vince is like, of course. So he takes the phone. He's like, how's it going, this Vince? Um, anyway, <laughs> at some point that night, and because it was my first MMVA, is like, I felt like I was in like a dream the whole night. I was like, this is insane. I'm like, I'm it's my life. This is my life. Like yeah. I'm like I'm just this kid from Hamilton, and literally like six months ago, I was like waiting tables at Swish LA, and now I'm <laughs> hanging out with Vince Carter and Bow Wow. You're like, see you later, suckers. I'm never coming back to this town again. <laughs> I'm never coming back. So, sort of feeling like I was in this dream throughout the whole night. This one sort of very surreal moment happened. So, Vince's job on the show is to introduce Bow Wow because he's performing, and so there's an actual basketball that Vince needs to like bounce over to Bow Wow. Bow does like a twirl and then they perform the song or whatever uh afterwards i talked to like actual like vince's dude and i'm like hey do you mind if like do you think he'd care if i took that basketball it's like you're a ballsy kid he's like no man yeah i know (laughs) oh my god if i were working on the job and you're like asking to be assigned to vince and can i have the ball who do you think you are if i was working with me now i'd be like this who does this kid think he is (laughs) yeah if if you were the new guy in the building yeah you'd be so like yeah get this kid out of here um so they're like not only can you have the ball vince will sign it for you vince like yeah man i'll sign the ball for you i'm like holy shit i'm like no one's gonna believe this this is insane so anyway the show ends it's time to like walk vince to his limo that's waiting outside of the building at much and we're going down like this sort of narrow staircase and (laughs) <laughs> I'm walking and I've got this big smile ear to ear and I've got my Vince Carter basketball and Vince is like with me. And then that band puddle of mud. Oh yeah. Starts- America's favorite band. Yes. <laughs> it's still thriving to what this day. What was their big song again? Puddle of mud. Song? I in hate you. <laughs> oh yeah. They really exuded positivity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they come walking up this stairwell. And so we're going down, they're coming up. And one of the guys in the band, like 
pops the ball out of my hands, okay. catches it, and they keep going up the stairs. And he turns around and goes, you got punked by Puddle of Mud, yo. <laughs> and I'm like... Hold on. Like, like a high school bully? Yes. So I'm in the stairwell, and I was shot right back to high school. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so embarrassed. And I like, like Vince is here, and I'm embarrassed in front of Vince, and I don't want to fight Puddle of Mud. And there, I'm, I'm new. I've only been here for three months at much, but I really need that basketball. So I think Vince is reading all of this on my face, and he might even see that I'm about to tear up. And Vince just goes, hey, with this, like, big, booming voice. And Puddle of Mud stops in their tracks. And he just looks him dead in the eye and he holds his hand up and basically does the throw me the ball back. Doesn't say a word other than hey. And they then sheepishly kind of put their heads down and toss the ball back to Vince. Oh. Continue on their way. And then Vince hands me the basketball like he's my hero. Like, oh, I, like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool. It was, it was very surreal. It's almost like Mad Libs. You it's know fun. what I mean? It's like Vince Carter, Puddle of Mud. <laughs> All right. But speaking of the show, Max. Yeah. Speaking of big time celebs. That's right. Mm-hmm. We have Tori Kelly. Yeah. Like we said at the top, she's blowing up. But she's blowed up. She's managed by Scooter Braun, who is obviously famous for managing Justin Bieber, Carly Rae Jepsen. I think Ariana Grande. I don't know how he's got time for all that. No, this guy's like a star maker. Yeah. Max, if Scooter Braun came to you and said, I want to manage the Arkells, what do you say? Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like one degree of separation from Bieber and Ariana Grande and some Carly Rae Jepsen stuff. Yeah. And Tori Kelly. And Tori Kelly. And like, yeah, I'd get them to like get yeah, featured on an Arkell song and stuff. The dude's a star maker. Yeah. Obviously. All right. Good to know. Yeah. So let's set the scene for the interview. Yes. Well, I actually, I wasn't even here for this interview. Another one that I had to miss. This was a, a mic by himself again. Yeah. Just me and a tape recorder. Much tells us, hey, we have this opportunity with Tori Kelly. She's at the HMV Underground, which is like a, a venue here in downtown Toronto. You know, it's like the HMV. Yeah. Uh, converted. The record, record store. store yeah. And then you go downstairs and it's like performs where she's doing uh, all this press. So I end up going over with like much digital or whatever because they were doing an interview. And I get in there's like four sort of stations set up for like YTV, Family Channel, like mm-hmm. everybody. She's basically doing the whole kind of thing. Yeah. And so I'm like sitting there with my little tape recorder. And uh, luckily, because I thought I was going to have to do it in front of like 20 people. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get sort of intimate and get a good conversation going. Um, luckily, we ended up going into the green room. So it was just like me, her, and the publicist. How old is she? The publicist? I think she was about 32. <laughs> Uh, Tori Kelly. I don't, I think she's 22 maybe. Okay. Why Tori Kelly is sort of interesting and why I was, uh, excited to talk to her is because even though right now she's like sort of blowing up, you know, like Billboard Music Awards, uh, the MTV VMAs, uh, this past weekend, she's been at it a long time. Mm-hmm. Like as you'll hear in the interview, like she's been basically, she was signed when she was like 12. That's always weird when they get signed that young. Dealing with sort of Geffen and she sort of had all these starts and stops and, and kind of like experienced, uh, I guess, disappointment at a young age in her career, which is always kind of weird. And, and that's what I want to talk to her about. And Yeah, because I, I feel like, you know, for every Tori Kelly that ends up making it, there's probably 900, you know, people that were discovered, kids that were discovered as 12-year-olds and get signed by a major label and then nothing happens. Absolutely. And, and they you know, have to move on and, you know, kind of are really disappointed with the whole experience. But and feel like they failed at 18. Yeah. And it's like you're, most people are just starting. You know what I mean? It's always weird when you, you sort of have success very young and then things aren't happening. And then it's like, oh, And you notice that it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that kid from school who got signed really young. But he's not doing anything anymore. No. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a little deflating. But uh, Tori Kelly, she sort of persevered through it. All right. Let's get to it. How's your day been so far? Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just came like, straight here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Immediately doing press. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of press, uh, <laughs> it feels like you've sort of been on this like 
rocket ship to the moon, like things are sort of <laughs> exploding for you right now. Yeah. Um, but you've been doing this a long time, you know. I have, yeah. Um, and over the years, there's sort of been a lot of breaks and setbacks, you know. Right. Um, whether it's like, you know, speaking with Geffen, Idol. Um, and people sort of deal with setbacks in different ways, you know. They can either sort of like crumble, maybe question what they're doing, their path, mm -hmm. or maybe it sort of like solidifies their resolve and they push back just as hard and be like, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. What do you tend to do? For me, it's been a little bit of both. I think with the setbacks that I've had, I was so young, I was only 12 when I first got signed. So, I mean, naturally I was crushed, you know, when when you hear that you're, you know, not ready yet, or you're not, you've gotta wait till you're a little older, you're not, um, there's no sound yet, we don't know what to do with you. You know, naturally it's like, well, I know that I can sing, it's like, what's, you know, what's the deal? Being so young, I didn't even know who I was as a person yet, let alone a, a recording artist. Yeah, you know? and those terms are so, like, businessy. Like, yeah. you have a sound, and it's like yeah. you're just sort of 12, and you're singing because you like exactly. it. Exactly. And then immediately you're sort of thrust into this thing where you need to sort of understand that it's like, oh, you need a sound and a direction. Right. I mean, was that easy to comprehend then, or was it more just kind of like, I don't understand why it was fine, and then now it's not working? Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to sing. I just wanted to sing and uh, and perform so for me it was hard to understand but I'm glad that it didn't necessarily work out for me back then because I got to really learn like yeah there is a business side of things and you have to be smart about that side and uh, I think it's the type of thing where I'm so thankful that it went down the way it did and I got to wait a long time um, until I was really ready because now I have um, just more control over you know my art and I can um, really I can really showcase what what I want to showcase and not you know other people kind of putting their sound on me and I guess like dealing with setback or anything is like you evolve and you get older and you sort of yeah. you become better at dealing with it for sure growing up uh your parents are very musical yeah, I mean, yeah. What did, are they musicians by trade are they did they have jobs like normal jobs yeah they have, I mean they had normal jobs but music was was such a huge part of their lives. My dad grew up in a lot of different bands growing up and he plays bass and he sings. Oh, amazing. And so, uh, and my mom grew up playing piano and so music was just always in the house, like just blasting every genre. Just, I, I felt very comfortable as a kid just to, just to practice singing and experiment with things. Did they sort of encourage from the start, like we're musicians, we want you to be in music? Yeah, they, they didn't necessarily, uh, it wasn't forced on me at all. It was. I think they just noticed that I loved music at a really young age, and I think they they just wanted to um, nurture that and just kind of give me the right tools. So I, I'm so blessed that they they've been supporting me since day one, and I, I didn't have to, you know, deal with any um, anything with them. Like they've always just been. Yeah, right? like with them, it's just been it's been so awesome to have them on board and still be involved too in my in my musical career. Did guitar come naturally to you? It didn't, no. Singing was always my first instrument and uh, drums was actually the one that I gravitated to. They're the most fun when you're a kid too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and my, my brother had a drum set and he like he would never play it so I would just sneak in there in his room and, and start going off. But, um, but I think guitar came a little later when I was around 15. And I, I just started having all these song ideas. I'd, ha I'd had them for a while, but I didn't know how to get them out. And so I just I learned three chords from a friend, and um, you know the rest was just all by ear. And that's how I really 
started uh, started playing was for songwriting, just to have something to accompany myself. And I did shows a lot then, so I, I was getting sick of like relying on other people. You need someone to show up and play with. Yeah, you exactly. You. So I I was like, nah, screw that. I'm gonna <laughs> do it myself. Do you remember the most difficult chord? I don't, I don't remember the most difficult one. Um, yeah, I I kind of just started experimenting with you know finger shapes and some of the chords I do I don't even think are are real chords. <laughs> so I just kind know. of just kind of make it up and and do whatever sounds right. Did you ever end up sort of like a you say your brother plays drums? Did you guys ever start your own band or jam <laughs> together? Uh, we would have we would have friends over and we'd sometimes you know do little like fake bands or put on shows for our parents. Um, stuff like that was fun though growing up. Do you remember the first song you wrote? Mm, I wrote a lot of unfinished songs <laughs> in my youth. <laughs> sure. Um, but I think the first one that I really remember completing for the first time was when I I, um, I opened up GarageBand, and uh, I didn't have a mic or anything, no sort of setup, and I just started I started making beats off of the actual keyboard, and um, and just I sang directly into the computer. Yeah. I, had, I had nothing else and. Um, that was, I, I don't remember what it was called, but I, but I remember that was the moment where um, I got in, I started getting into producing more. Does that demo exist somewhere? <laughs> it might, it might, it might live on a computer, <laughs> maybe someday people will hear it, but it's probably awful. <laughs> um, you were just saying you got into producing, and yeah. like you sort of wrote and produced um, and mixed your, your first EP. Yeah. And put it on your own label. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like sort of shows like a pretty strong independent streak. I mean, right. you were down that path and Scooter Braun sort of came into it. Like, how mm -hmm. does that develop? How does that work out? I put out a, I was putting out covers and originals on YouTube yeah. a lot. And so there was a time where um, I put out a cover, the Frank Ocean cover, and it, it exploded. It blew up. Yeah, it blew up and I was not expecting it at all. And up until then I was kind of cruising but I put that cover out and it kind of hit me like okay I have all these people's attention now I better put out some original music because I, I didn't have anything it was just all covers and I was like I, I really want to be known as an as an artist and a songwriter first not just somebody who has can a great cover voice songs. that can sing songs yeah so I just so happened to have a show uh, that week that I put the video out and Scooter came to that show and he it's funny because he says he, he couldn't get in the line was so long <laughs> and it was this small little like lounge cafe type of thing like 50 people and um, he, he couldn't get in so he you know someone saw him and brought him into the show but um, but ever since then we, we kind of just we kept in contact and um, you know he started reaching out we started you know hitting him back and it took a while because I was hesitant I was wondering, I was going to say from yeah. experiences in the past where you sort of like, I need to be convinced? For sure. I was, I mean, even though he had such a big name and was so successful, I was so hesitant because I'd been down that road already, you know, people promising you things and it, it doesn't happen. And here I have, you know, these people coming to my own show with no label, no producers, no nothing. It's literally all me. And so I was being a little bit stubborn. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to... I'm gonna do all this by myself, you know, and then, there, and then very shortly, it didn't last that long because I, I then realized, you know, after talking to my parents, they were like, you know, this is, this is what you've wanted to do. You've wanted to expand and inspire as many people as possible. So, this is, this is the next step right here, you know. And so, and Scooter is amazing because he, from the start, didn't want to change anything about me. He was like, I just want to take what you have already and just expand it and make it grow and you know just keep keep doing your thing I want to take your vision and, and you know make it bigger so 
He's been amazing at that. I saw you, it's funny, I was, um, I saw you on the Billboard Music Awards. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things where I was sort of doing some work at my apartment and I had the show in the background. Uh -huh. And you sort of came on and it was like one of those things where I kind of like looked up. I was like, holy shit, who's this? Because it was such an amazing performance. Thank you. Um, and what's so fascinating is I was kind of watching, I was thinking, wow, this is like just her and a guitar. Was it a very conscious decision to be like, I'm just going to go up there with my guitar and my voice and I'm going to do this? Yeah, it seemed, it seemed like the obvious decision to do that because I wanted to use that show and that platform to kind of give back to my fans who found me on YouTube. Who'd been there. Yeah, they've been there from the beginning and they've been able to be on this journey with me and I, I never wanted to feel like like oh I'm signed now and I'm doing all these shows and like you guys are just over here in the corner like thanks so much you know mm -hmm. like there's still there's we're so connected I feel like and they've they've seen the growth and we've grown together in that so I wanted to use that show to basically just strip it back the way it started and just be like this is you know this is for you guys I never want to forget where it came from so and also the I think the raw live acoustic thing can can speak louder than than a full production it can be know? more powerful it can yeah um i guess last question when you're in a, a performance like that and specifically that moment do you mm -hmm. kind of like know i'm killing it <laughs> <laughs> you know like there's like things slow down you go like oh yeah that like i'm at this point in the song and it's like this is going really well <laughs> i you know I, it's hard to answer that question without sounding full of myself <laughs> but but i do i feed i feed off the crowd a lot so I, I don't necessarily listen to myself when I'm in the moment. I, I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm outside of myself and, and trying to read the crowd and what they're feeling. So, so I mean, it's definitely, you, you just have to, you have to read them and, and hopefully, hopefully they're feeling it, you know? <laughs> but I mean, if it, if it feels like it's not, like I'm not getting um, the, how, how should I say? If it feels like, the room's a little dead, maybe. Sure. I, I do kind of tweak what I'm doing, maybe vocally or the arrangement. or it's very, I'm very in the moment when I perform. I don't have like a specific way that I sing. Um, I, I find myself changing it up a lot. Even on tour, like I've been changing the set list every night. And I like keeping people on their toes. So whatever it takes to do that. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a great interview. <laughs> thanks. As our pop culture aficionado, Shane sees a lot of movies, listens to a lot of music, and in fact, this week, Shane and I went and saw a movie together. Yeah, we saw The Gift. We did. I see saw it. it too in Hamilton. You saw Max. I went. How did everyone feel about this movie? Oh, hold on. How about we do this? On the count of three, let's give our rating out of 10. Okay. I like the 10 star system. Sure. So on the count of three, everyone say what they give it. Okay. Ready? One, One two, two, three, four, eight. Nine. eight. Did you also count to four? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, thought I my, heard that. That was my funny portion. <laughs> I was Gotta like, go, guys. <laughs> Hard to squeeze. I thought you just didn't like the movie that much. I was like, did he say four? Yeah, I was like, what? Yeah. I was with you. you 4.8. Um, All right, so two eights and a nine. Yeah. Shane, because Shane's our pop culture official. Let him let, take no, it away, like, Shane. Watching the trailer, I remember I went to see, I think it was Jurassic Park, and this ridiculous, seemingly 90s movie trailer comes on. And I was laughing because it just seemed like the most ridiculous piece of shit I've ever seen. But then all these reviews, <laughs> I messaged you when it had eight reviews. Like, I was just like, I don't know, lonely laying in my bed, like, oh, I'm going to message Mike. And I was like, Mike, as I often do, <laughs> yeah. lonely Mike, I'm crying again. How do I stop? <laughs> How do I stop? <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, uh, looking for a topic. So I'm like, hey, the gift has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. We should 
see it because we both we both had seen this trailer and it looked like something from like the late 80s early 90s like uh like fatal attraction or like single white female these sort of like campy thrillers where like you know uh someone from the past or somebody just meet ends up sort of like stalking and we were like laughing at this thing Mm -hmm. so i sent him like oh mike we gotta see this this it looks like so shit but it's gonna be one of those movies that's secretly awesome he's like yeah okay let's do it Next day, like, you know how stuff's always getting stolen from you, like our Kel shirts or whatever. Like, they just serendipitously fall into our laps. This guy I work with finds two passes to the gift on his way to work. Where do you find them? Uh, on a person's desk in, uh, <laughs> in another department. He stole two. <laughs> yeah, he stole them, much like we stole your Kel shirts. <laughs> like, you know Mark Myers. Yeah. But he's a very, like, upstanding Yeah guy so i figured okay this is kosher enough gives me the passes i'm like mike let's see it unfortunately i can't make it that night so yeah sorry so i go to go to this movie and i'm like i can get there 10 minutes before the movie no one's gonna care about the gift like literally these passes were found what theater scotia bank uh here in toronto just down the, the street and i go in and i go up to the like the little table and the woman's like oh sorry we're all sold out and i'm like uh, i'm like come on i'm like i'm one person you never actually fill the whole theater like just stick me in one seat she's like no we're actually sold out and then i'm like kind of getting a little bit pissy because i've and walked you over don't there. get mad often but when you do you emote <laughs> like how livid you are so easily i was like, like i was definitely being i was being petulant by and, the way for the listeners the, the the movie there's about two blocks from mike's house it's not like you like went hey man i had to put on <laughs> pants and shoes I, you know i i spit beat up my eyeglasses i go down there she's like sorry and i honestly think she's just like for a like, free movie yeah. Not, yeah for a free movie and so she's like she's like um, she's like but we can give you um two passes to the future or to- <laughs> why is she from michigan <laughs> i don't know minnesota yeah this is how she talks from fargo <laughs> guys you know i've been uh working on my my voice this will do you don't you know <laughs> So, so she's, she's like, uh, so we can give you two passes for later. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and then, but I still don't believe her. And then like, she gives me two passes and then marks down and I look down and I see there's about like, she's given out 22 free passes. Oh, wow. So this thing is well oversold. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, one, that bodes well for the movie. Two, at least I got a free pass to a later viewing of the show. And that's how we ended up seeing the movie. Uh, okay. So let's talk about the movie. Yeah. No, uh, I thought it, I thought it was good. Joel Egerton is the main, uh, Actor in the film. Uh, Edgerton or Egerton? I think it might be Edgerton. I hate names like that. Australians, man. He's an Australian man. Uh And uh, he's too good looking for the role. Like, clearly, he's playing like kind of a loser character. You thought he was too good looking for the role? I thought he was. Well, you you clearly don't know him before. Because, yeah, in real life, he's a very good looking guy. But what they do is anytime they want to make someone ugly, they give them red hair. (laughs) <laughs> like, and trying to make him look like Louis C.K. basically yeah. and a goatee yeah no offense to redhead but that's the old like Hollywood trick point is I thought his acting was very good I got sucked into this like seemingly ridiculous plot that's way over the top but I thought it was handled very believable almost the way Gone Girl was oh. which is totally outrageous I actually did not like Gone Girl but I came very close to liking it just because of, like the expertise of the director and uh I th- see. I loved it, and I don't really like thriller suspense. Well, I guess I like suspense movies, but I was on the edge of my seat the whole movie. Like I'm the like jumpiest guy ever. Oh my! God. But it was amazing. Like, like I, the shower part. He's uh-huh. where basically he comes out of nowhere and he like appears in like the steam of the oh shower, or whatever. And I scream, "Get the f- out!" And I hit my. <laughs> he hits me in the chest. <laughs> like we both jumped though. Like the whole theater jumped, and yes. everybody was like startled. And then. Uh, 
I do have a habit too of like uh, in movies sometimes I can't stop laughing at like a part that's supposed to be <laughs> scary or serious. So so basically, there's this like very emotional point in the movie. Uh, the movie stars Jason Bateman as well and Rebecca Hall uh, and Joel Edgerton. And there's a sort of like very sort of emotional scene near the end of the movie. And because Shane uh, sometimes can't help but laugh at like maybe scenes that are, uh, you know, completely inappropriate to laugh at. Because it's kind of like in high school when you're the teacher's like, don't you laugh. And you want to laugh even more almost, you know. So it's like, yeah. So it's there's this moment in the film and I'm sitting there and I'm sort of very engaged in it. And then I can just feel like the chair shaking. And I look (laughs) over and Shane just like... And he's trying not to laugh, but over my right shoulder, the girl is crying. Like, she's having a real moment, because this moment is very sort of devastating in the movie. And Shane's laughing to my left, uh, and it was pretty hilarious and inappropriate. Did he he whisper, like, knock it off kind of thing? No, he's a grown man. I'm not going to tell him to shut up. You didn't find that part funny at all? I was trying to feel the mo- what, what the director wanted me to mm-hmm. feel, which wasn't like naked gun hilarity. <laughs> <laughs> naked gun, good reference. Thank you, yeah, another uh, timely reference. <laughs> My favorite line from Naked Gun, uh, when the police officer's investigating the crime, and he's like, uh, what the suspect look like? He's like, uh, male, Caucasian, mustache, about six foot. That's a big mustache. <laughs> <laughs> for this movie, I did think that um, Jason Bateman was awesome. Jason Bateman's killed. Cool. Like, nobody will nominate for like him for an Oscar for this movie, but he acts his ass off in this movie. Oh, yeah, and because he wasn't... He played, he was true to how he is in real life. You don't know if he's an asshole or a nice guy or a funny guy or a bit of a dick. Yeah, he's sort of... He's like charismatic Mm -hmm. and charming. Yeah, but he has no patience for people. Rotten Tomatoes and the three of us on this podcast Mm -hmm. highly recommend The Gift. Not what you're expecting, well acted. Agreed. That's it. That's the episode, Max. Another one in the books. Want to thank Shane Cunningham. Want to thank Tori Kelly. Show. We'd like to say a special thank you to our friend Dan Crothers, who works at Much, and uh, he's responsible. He sort of oversees the show. He's actually more of a producer than I'm a producer, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. He's doing so many amazing things for the show, it does not go unnoticed. Yeah, he does a bunch of the social media work for us. He makes sure that like things are spelled correctly, just things that I should be overseeing. He listens to every episode, he, he unlike Max. Every, yeah. <laughs> so a huge thank you to Dan Crothers who uh, yeah is really talented with this job but also just a very interesting smart fun guy to be around so sweetheart shout out to Dan um, huge uh, thank you to Jenna Gregory who does all the artwork for the show we mentioned her earlier you can find her stuff at jennasdoodles.com you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mike on Much. And our homepage is much.com slash Mike on Much. Ah, yeah. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. We will see you next week if we don't die on the weekend.